Hi, you're listening to the Baby Manual Podcast, the podcast that helps you feel confident as a new parent. I'm your host, a pediatrician and mom, and the author of the Baby Manual, Dr. Carol Keim. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Baby Manual Podcast. This is all about when your baby is around six to nine months old. So six months old, this is one of my very favorite ages. They're just so sweet at this age. These babies are happy, babbling, cooing. They're starting to babble with inflection. So they're going up and down like they're actually saying something. And they give you those little happy kicks when you make a face at them. It's just so cute. So I love this age. Also for parents, this is a golden age for a lot of parents because you really feel like you've got a good handle on things. You're starting to sleep a little better. Usually you have routines down. You're starting to show confidence with your infant. Now it's okay if you're not, but keep in mind that postpartum depression could hit any time and sometimes looks like feeling like you're not having a good handle on things. So you can always check an Edinburgh postnatal depression scale if you're worried about that. At this age, you can start establishing routines with your baby. Six-month-old baby is starting to actually make associations and recognize patterns. So starting to have certain bedtime routines, wind-down routines, leaving the house routines. Baby will start to notice what you're doing. You should be interacting with your baby and responding to their cues at this age. And they can start to really tell you what they want when they want it. It's pretty cool to see. You should be talking to them, sing to them read together, play interactive games like peekaboo. They love that. And just having little conversations back and forth, babbling is so much fun with them. It also really helps to boost their development. Use your support networks and make sure that you're balancing your parent roles and responsibilities between both parents or if you're a single mom, make sure that you have support for all of the everyday tasks because it really can get to be a lot. And then if you're in a relationship, this is a great time to have a date night with a babysitter. Usually around six to nine months old is when parents are starting to feel safe leaving their baby with somebody for a couple of hours. So go out, have that date night and enjoy yourself. For development at this age, six-month-olds are socially interactive. So they will smile, they'll laugh, they'll respond to you. They do their little happy kicks, like I said. I love those. They can start to recognize familiar faces. and. You might notice around this age, you can see the beginnings of stranger anxiety. So anyone that they're not around regularly, even if it's someone they've they've met before, you know, a family member that came to visit a few months ago and is now coming again, they might think that they're a stranger and they might be scared. And that's normal at this age and it will go away again. Babies at six months are babbling, which means that they're making repetitive sounds with consonants and vowels. So things like ba, 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 ma, 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 la, 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 da, da, da. They also start to babble with inflection. So going up and down with their voice, like they're actually talking about something like that, 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 that. So you should do that back with them. They love it. And what, what else is really fun is they start blowing raspberries. And there's a couple different ways to do that. So one is with the tongue out. Then there's just your lips. Or you could even start to roll your R's. And babies love that at this age. And they love trying to make all of those sounds. So do all of those with them. At six months, they start to recognize their own name. So if you call their name, they should turn and look at you. And that is one of their also gross motor skills is that while they're sitting, they can turn to look. Now, at this age, they're not fully sitting on their own. They'll usually tripod sit and can sometimes stay up for a few seconds, but they have a tendency to tip over and fall down. 
And that is pretty normal. At nine months is when they can fully sit without support. So at this age, they're great at sitting in like a bumbo chair or a high chair or in your lap. And they have really good head control. They start to help with their head when you pull them up from laying down. But they, yeah, they can't fully sit on their own yet. Baby should be rolling both ways at this age. So front to back and back to front. And that can get really exciting really fast because they will roll off of surfaces super fast. Still don't put them on any high surfaces like beds, couches, changing tables, anything like that, unless you've got a hand on them, fully supporting them so that they don't roll off. Also, they start to roll across the floor. So at this age, parents will sometimes walk away from tummy time and come back and find their baby across the room. So it's time to start thinking about baby proofing if you haven't already. And you want to start with stuff that's at floor level and then go up from there. More development stuff at this age, they start putting everything in their mouths. So a six-month-old can pick up an object with intention. They'll use a raking grasp, which is using all of their fingers together, kind of like how a squirrel grabs a nut. And then they will put those things into their mouths and they can transfer things hand to hand. Parents always worry at this age about choking hazards and then about kids swallowing things. So at this age, anything up to about the size of a dime should pass through their GI system. So if they do swallow things like small rocks and stuff, that's okay. But keep in mind, those are choking hazards. And choking is a little bit different than gagging. Remember, gagging is when stuff tries to go down your esophagus and you kind of like on it, you know, and it comes back out. Um, Choking is when it goes into the windpipe or the trachea. And that is actually a lot more serious. They're sometimes coughing. There's sometimes a whistling sound and sometimes no sound at all. uh, And they stop breathing. So yeah, so that's a very dangerous choking. So watch out for, for those things in babies. Anything smaller than a dime, they could potentially choke on it. Babies at this age are starting to stand and bounce. So you can hold them up and they can bounce a little bit. This is a great age for a Johnny jump up or one of those little activity centers that are, you know, like a saucer on the bottom and you put the baby in it and there's little things to play with all around the edges, almost like at their desk height. And they can just sit there and keep themselves happy. We don't do infant walkers anymore. Those are not safe. And this is the age that that we used to put them in, you know, that sort of thing because they're starting to push with their feet. Walkers with wheels on them are not safe, so we don't recommend those anymore. But you can still do things like a Johnny jump up or even just like hold baby and bounce them up and down and let them try jumping. It's really fun at this age for them. And they'll start to pull themselves up to stand in the crib. So just a quick safety tip, make sure that your crib is now on the lowest, the mattress is on the lowest setting so that they, they can't pull themselves up and over the edge of the crib. They're also starting to kind of swim on the ground. So when you do your tummy time, they'll pick their chest up off the ground. Sometimes they'll even get their arms up off the ground like they're trying to crawl. And sometimes they'll get up to their knees and rock back and forth. But a lot of times they're not crawling until they're nine months old. So you'll see this pre-crawling at this age. And some babies do crawl this early. So, you know, keep an eye out for that. Other things at this age, they don't have object permanence. So this this goes a little bit with stranger anxiety where if you if they if they grab something you don't want them to have and you take it and you put it behind your back, it's gone. They lose interest because they don't realize that it's still in your hand behind your back. So also, if you know mom or dad walks out of the room, they flip out and get really scared because they think that you know they just don't see you, you're not there anymore. So keep that in mind at this age that it, you still can't go to the bathroom by yourself yet. You got to keep them in sight at all times. Toys at this age that are really fun and help with their development. So soft toys, because they are going to be doing a lot of passing hand to hand, 
putting things towards their mouth and they smack themselves in the head a lot at this age. So if you give them like a hard rattle, they're going to bang themselves in the head with it. So do soft stuff, you know, stuffed animals, stuffy type, you know, rattles, things like that. Make sure that there's no hard eyes or noses on any stuffed animals because babies can chew through those. And as they're teething, they'll chew on everything. And they can potentially, even if they don't have teeth, can loosen those eyes and then choke on them. Those are really dangerous. So you want the kind of stuffed animals that have eyes that are like sewn, that are just embroidered on there. You know, not not anything that would be like a button or those hard eyes. Make sure there's no small parts to any toys that can come off to. They love crinkly toys at this age. And this is the age I realized why they write on all of the grocery bags, this bag is not a toy because babies love things that crinkle and shake like that. So they actually make baby toys that are safe, that are pieces of fabric with crinkly stuff on the inside and baby can chew on that and it's really satisfying. So those are really fun at this age. And then also things that are rubber or silicone are great at this age. They love to chew on that kind of stuff. So teething toys are great. As for sleeping at this age, so remember, keep keep up with the safe sleep guidelines, the ABCs, alone on their back in a crib. And remember, you always want to place them on their back. And if they roll themselves to the front, it's okay. They're strong enough that they're not going to suffocate as long as there's nothing else in that crib. So no pillows, no blankets, no toys, no bumpers, nothing. Only baby, and you can have them in a sleep sack, but you know, no loose blankets because they could... They could roll over and get it wrapped around their head and could suffocate that way. The crib should be in the parent's room until one year of age. Uh, That is still the official guideline by the Academy of Pediatrics, that the crib should be in your room until they're one year old. But they are starting to do studies of moving babies out as early as four months. So just keep an eye out on the latest guidelines for that and whether it's okay to move them into their own room in that crib at this age. Remember, the crib mattress should be on the lowest setting because they are pulling to stand. And you can start doing your bedtime routines. So things like feed them their last feed and then clean their teeth or gums with water. So either a soft toothbrush or a wet washcloth with water. I don't like those finger toothbrushes just because babies, when they're teething, they bite and they bite hard and those really hurt. So a regular soft toothbrush is is what I would recommend for that. I, I get them at the dollar store. They have them in like three or four packs. So just any sort of regular toothbrush is fine read to them, maybe sing a song. And then when you set them down, this is the age where you're really building those habits. And so ideally set them down when they're still awake, but drowsy. Uh, Sometimes you can have like a mobile or something over their crib or something that plays music that will, you know, kind of get them in the mood for sleeping, be part of the routine. But keep in mind too, that whatever you do as part of the routine right now is what they're going to expect for a while. So If you let them fall asleep in the middle of nursing on you, they're going to expect that for a long time and it's going to be harder to stop that pattern. So this is the age where you're really starting to go with those healthy sleep habits. Things that can help if your baby's a poor sleeper, but only if you really need it. Blackout blinds can help and a white noise machine can help. Sometimes music can help. You can use scented things like lotion or, you know, have oils in a diffuser or something that, you know, like lavender, so baby smells it and then they realize it's bedtime. But remember, all of these things, only if you need it, because baby will get used to it and it's going to be harder to travel later. For nutrition at this age, they are starting to eat foods, but most of their nutrition still comes from either breast milk or formula. 
So you're going to be starting with the solids. And there are two main ways that people decide to do solid foods, either baby-led weaning or the traditional puree progression method. And actually, nowadays, I see a lot of families doing a mix of both. And I think that's kind of the best of both. But it's really up to you guys. You can look into how to do it. I do recommend all families, I mean, really all families with babies should take an infant CPR class at some point. But especially around this age, if you haven't taken one, they're going to be trying new foods. They're going to be putting things in their mouth at this age. And you need to know what to do if your baby's choking. So I would definitely recommend a, an infant CPR class at this age. You also need to be able to recognize the difference between gagging and choking because gagging is normal as they're trying to learn how to eat. It's normal for the food to go into their throat a little bit and they gag and then a lot of times you'll see some of it come back out or just see something reappear in their mouth and then go back down again. Um, gagging is a normal thing, but choking where it's going down into the trachea, which is the windpipe, that is not a normal thing. So if they're coughing and sputtering or I mean, heaven forbid, if they're turning blue, that's a really bad sign and you need to stop um, and talk to your doctor about it because some babies are going to need a little bit of therapy to learn how to eat properly. But yeah, if your baby's just gagging, that's totally fine. That's normal. Now, with the traditional puree method, the way that you do it is you start with uh, single ingredient purees and you can either buy baby foods or I would suggest making your own. Just steam some vegetables don't add any salt or anything, just plain steamed vegetables and then blend them up. That's all you got to do. It's super easy. You can pour that into an ice cube tray and freeze it. And then you've got little one ounce serving cubes that you just need to, you know, bring to room temperature to feed to the baby. So it's super easy. When you do your one food at a time, you want to do one new ingredient every three to four days. Because if you do two or three new foods at the same time and your baby gets a rash or they throw up, you know they're allergic to something, but you don't know which of those foods they're allergic to. So one at a time when you're starting out, and it's okay to add on to that one. And I like to recommend starting with greens first and then going to orange vegetables and then fruits. Officially, the Academy of Pediatrics has done studies and they say that it doesn't really matter what order you do foods in. Basically, all babies will eat all kinds of stuff by a year and then they'll all become picky around age two to three and then eventually they start eating foods again later. But I have definitely seen some infants who are between six and 12 months who definitely prefer the sweet foods and have a harder time eating the greens. So I like to start with the greens first because they're the least sweet. So peas, spinach, broccoli, asparagus, Brussels sprouts, things that are really nutrient dense that are not very sweet and um, they're really healthy for your baby. And then the orange vegetables are a little sweeter. So carrots, sweet potatoes, pumpkin, that sort of stuff. Those have a little bit more sugar in them. And then at the end, go to the fruits. And apples and bananas are super sweet. And you could even cut the fruits with vegetables. So you could mix apples and spinach, for example, you know, because your baby's already tried spinach. So you can just add something into it. And then they're not getting all of that high dose of sugar all at once. As for the foods that they're allowed to eat, they are allowed to eat just about anything except for honey and cow's milk. Now, honey is something that can have botulism spores in it, and the spore doesn't get killed by cooking it. So even things like honey nut Cheerios are not okay until after a year of age. Anything that has honey in it, they have to avoid. And cow's milk, just straight cups of milk they're not allowed to have. It's okay to do dairy products. It's okay to do cheese and butter and yogurt and eggs and meats, all of these, the beans, everything. You can do all of these at any age. 
And you're starting somewhere between four and six months when your baby's ready to eat. Now you can start giving water with foods. I recommend about one ounce of water for each ounce of food that they eat. And just to offer that, they don't necessarily have to drink that much. I wouldn't offer more than that unless your baby struggles with serious constipation. But for the most part, ounce per ounce seems to be pretty good at keeping them hydrated and keeping their stools regular. If you just start foods without water, especially if you're starting cereals like rice cereal or oat cereal, those can cause constipation. And I just realized I forgot to mention cereals. So rice and oat cereal are something that have sort of fallen out of popularity recently. We don't really start with those anymore. And part of the reason is that it's really just empty calories. It's, you know, a filler food that uh, doesn't have a whole lot of nutritional value in it. They do add some nutrients into it and you are mixing it with breast milk or formula. So it is an option, you know, it does have some nutritional value, but for the most part, it's a training food. And if you do want to start with it, one thing I do like about it is that it doesn't have a lot of flavor. So the cereal mostly tastes like either breast milk or formula, which your baby's used to eating. So if you notice you're feeding your baby with baby foods and they're spitting things out constantly and you don't know why, it could just be that they're not quite ready to eat yet, or it could be they don't like the taste of those things. And with something like rice cereal or oat cereal, you know, you'll be able to tell, is it just a texture thing or is it a flavor thing? With uh, my experience, I've seen a lot more babies that tend to react to oat cereal versus rice cereal. The rice cereal is really not very allergenic. I think I've only known one baby ever that was allergic to it, but I've seen quite a few babies that it seems like their eczema got worse and they started vomiting when they had oat cereal. So just keep that in mind. And it could be cross-contamination with gluten. I'm not sure with the oats. I know there was a scare about arsenic in rice cereal a little while back. And basically, there's not enough in there to poison your baby. So you should be totally fine. But you can also just skip rice cereal entirely or oat cereal. That's totally up to you. Now, the way that you do it throughout the day... I would consider them to have three to five meals, full meals of breast milk or formula, and then one to three snacks of baby food on top of that. So you can do those snacks kind of in between. And the reason I'm calling it that is because they're typically drinking four to six ounces at a time, sometimes more at this age. And when they're eating baby foods, it's one or two ounces typically at a time, maybe up to four ounces, but they're they're not eating a big meal of it. It's really just practice, you know, the food to practice how to swallow and taste new things. If you want, you can start a meal time with some of the baby food and then top them up with the liquids. You could start with the breast milk or formula and then give them baby food at the end to taste. It's up to you how you want to do it. I'd say whatever is most convenient for you as a family. If you sit down for meal times, that's a great time to give baby something to eat as well and let them play with their food and feel it and squish it. That's all part of the experience of learning to try new foods. So yeah, only expect them to eat about one to two ounces at a time when they're starting and then they will go up to four ounces, but watch their cues. And if they seem like they're full or they start refusing the spoon, then you know, like you don't have to keep going. You don't have to eat a whole thing of baby food. They don't have to. <laughs> all right, for teeth. So teeth can appear anytime in the first year of life, uh, but six months is sort of the peak incidence of teething. So uh, keep your eyes out for drooling, low-grade fevers, being fussy, and little tooth buds. And tooth buds are just so cute. They usually start on the bottom in the middle with those little two teeth, and then the two on the top in the middle. 
And the bottom tooth buds, I find, tend to be kind of on the inside of the gum line. So if you look in their mouth or if you if you can kind of press down on their chin and pop their mouth open, sometimes you can see those tooth buds on the inside. But once their tongue comes out, it covers them up. So you usually can't see it. And a lot of babies, when they're teething, they get pretty mad if you try to mess with their mouth. You might not notice those tooth buds, but if you notice baby crying, try to take a peek in there when they're crying and you might be able to see some. The top teeth, when they come in, tend to be on the front of the gums. And so those are a lot more obvious. You can see two little swellings typically in the middle of the gums when those are coming in. Teeth can appear in any order. So if those are not the first teeth that your baby gets, that is okay. And it can happen really any time in the first year and sometimes up to a year and a half. So if your baby still has no teeth at this age, that is okay too. When you're feeding them foods, if you're doing baby led weaning, which is giving them table foods that are either mashed or smashed or, or um, big enough that they cannot bite pieces off of it, you want foods that you can crush easily between your two fingers. If you can crush those foods, um, do crush them and hand them to baby, but you also know that they can crush them as well with their gums. Now for teething, other stuff that can help, teething toys are great. I like frozen washcloths, so just take a washcloth, make sure it's super clean, wash out all of the, if there's any like fabric softener or anything, wash that out. Just make it wet with water, freeze it, let them suck on that. That can be really soothing. Frozen fruit is great in a mesh bag. They make these little things that look kind of like pacifiers, but they have a bag on the end. It's either mesh, uh, fabric, or silicone. And with those ones, you can put the fruit inside, or you can even put breast milk or formula ice cubes inside of it and let them just chew on that. And then as it melts, they get a little nutrition, which, which is great. I like the silicone ones a little bit better just because the mesh bags can get kind of gross. They tend to get pieces of fruit in them and they're harder to clean. They get a little bit moldy, but the silicone ones are a lot easier to clean. You can give medicines for teething if you need to. The two medicines that we typically recommend are something topical like Aurigel or one of those similar ones, Anbisol, um, any sort of topical teething gel that is sold over the counter in a pharmacy or Tylenol. And Tylenol is something that is going to get into their whole body. And so it will make even their gums feel better. But also, yeah, it's a systemic medication. So just use it if you feel like they really need it. Oragel and other topical teething gels, keep an eye on how often you're using them because they only last for about an hour or so, but usually you can't give them more often than every two to four hours. And usually I would just recommend giving those right before baby's going to eat something. If it's not going to be something that's cold and soothing to their gums, but if they're just going to eat and they're having a hard time eating, something topical can help with that pain. You want to make sure at this age that you've got fluoride in your tap water. And if you don't, that your baby is starting to take fluoride supplements. Because at six months of age, they're starting to make the tooth enamel in all of their teeth that are starting to grow inside of their gums, inside their mouth. So they need fluoride in their body to make that enamel strong for all of their teeth and to prevent future cavities. If you don't have fluoride in your tap water, you can consider using fluoride toothpaste up to the size of a grain of rice. So just a tiny little bit, I'd say open that toothpaste, take the toothbrush and just tap it onto the toothpaste and then take it off again, just enough that you can see that it touched. That's enough for your baby to, to use in their gums and that's safe to swallow that tiny, tiny amount. And that can help a little bit too to help prevent cavities in the future if they do swallow that. Remember, just the tiniest amount. And if you've got fluoride in your water, you don't need to be doing that. You should just be brushing with plain water. 
Make sure you avoid lying them down with a bottle and never prop a bottle. At this age, a lot of babies are starting to want to hold the bottle themselves, but make sure that you're you're never propping it on anything, meaning like setting something on top of baby that holds the bottle because they're still not strong enough to get out of the way if they start to choke on that. And then if they lay down with a bottle, it tends to put milk up around their upper gums and that can really erode their teeth. If you've ever seen a baby that had bottle rot on their teeth, it's all of the front teeth on the top that get really rotted. It gets very painful and they often have to be pulled and it's going to be expensive. So try to avoid that if you can. It's it's really an avoidable condition uh, as long as they don't lie down with a bottle and then you clean their teeth after the last time that they eat. And we're talking about lying flat down with a bottle in that case, flat on their back in their bed. So no bottles in the bed. All right, with peeing and pooping. So they should be peeing about four to six times per 24 hours, and their poop starts to get a little bit more solid now that they're eating foods. So you can actually consider potty training at this age if you wanted to start. Now, typical in America is to start potty training between the ages of two and four. We wait for a really long time, in my opinion. And in other countries, they start potty training at birth or they start potty training around this age, six months, because baby can sit at this age with some support. So if you were interested in starting that, and I do have a whole section on this in my book, The Baby Manual, but just a quick kind of rundown. After you eat, there's something called the gastrocolic reflex. And what that means is when your stomach fills, it makes your intestines move in such a way that it's uh, called peristalsis and it makes you want to have to poop. So with babies at this age, what you can do is feed them and then use a phrase because they're starting to learn patterns. So something like, let's go potty now or whatever you want to use. And then you bring them into the bathroom and you sit them on the toilet. And you can use a baby potty for this. You can use those uh, seat, what are they called? The things that you put on top of a seat and it makes it a little bit smaller for baby to sit on. One of those can help. And you can just sit them on the toilet for a few minutes. And, you know, if anything comes out, get excited. If not, totally fine. Put their diaper back on. But for the most part, just doing that can really help. And you can start catching poops in the toilet as early as this age. So, uh, yeah, and they can sit on their potty all by themselves, typically at this age. Sometimes you still need to support them with your arms, but a lot of potty chairs will have a back that they can lean on, and so they can really start it at this age. So, yeah, up to you. Um, You can absolutely keep using diapers at this age, too. All right, skincare at this age. Oh, my goodness. So six-month-olds are the typically the chubbiest at, of any age and they tend to get those rolls in their legs they look like the michelin man it is so cute the only downside with those skin folds is that they sometimes get little infections in there so make sure you're cleaning those folds really well and keeping them dry afterwards and you should be bathing them about two to four times per week or whenever they get smelly but wipe those skin folds a couple of times a day just because you know, they they get a little bit of sweat in there and then they start to rub on themselves and then they get a little breakdown and that causes a rash. And a lot of times that'll get infected. And the same process happens as with a diaper rash. So you can use diaper rash cream on those skin folds to help those rashes to go away. So you can start with something zinc oxide based like desitin or something petroleum-based like Vaseline or Aquaphor. And what those do are they just kind of seal off the top of the skin so that it doesn't keep rubbing on itself and allows it to heal from the base layers up. 
Or you can use, if it looks like it's infected, you can ask your doctor for a yeast infection cream called Nystatin. Or if you wanted to try treating it at home, it's okay to use one of the over-the-counter antifungal creams like Lotrimin or Tenactin or the generics of those. Those are all good. And you can spread those onto their skin on their body and that should help. Or you can try mixing apple cider vinegar with water one-to-one. And vinegar is antifungal. So that can also help to kill if there's any infection in those folds. But yeah, if there's just a pink rash, and this goes for diaper rash too, if it's just pink and solid, usually that one is just treated with regular diaper creams like the zinc oxide-based or petroleum-based. If it's starting to get little tiny pink dots around the edges of it, those are called satellite lesions, and that's a sign of a yeast infection, of a candida infection. And so that's when you want to try those antifungal things. A lot of babies at this age will have cradle cap, and cradle cap is something that is purely cosmetic. It's just on their, well, it, it's often on their scalp. It can go as low as their eyebrows, so sometimes you'll see it on babies' foreheads too but it can be their whole scalp too. And it looks like tiny little greasy stuck on bits of skin. And what's happening with cradle cap is the skin thinks that it's too dry. And so it overproduces oil and wax uh, called sebum. And it makes these little plaques on the skin. It's like, hey, let's try to moisturize ourselves, And then it, it overproduces this oil. And then the oil gets stuck there on the skin. So It seems kind of counterintuitive, but the way to treat it is actually to put more oil on top of it. So if you put something like olive oil or Vaseline or Aquaphor, something petroleum-based, something greasy, oily, it's just going to trick that scalp into thinking like, oh, we don't have to produce so much of this. And then in the morning, you can just brush that out or wash it with a little bit of baby shampoo. But make sure you moisturize afterwards. Every time you wash their hair, you want to moisturize their scalp if they've got cradle cap because it's going to just keep coming back because the skin keeps thinking that it's too dry. And cradle cap can last even a few years. I've seen two and a half and three-year-olds that have it. The thing is, once they're that age, they usually have so much hair that you don't notice it. And so it's not a big deal. It doesn't bother them. But a lot of times it bothers the parents. And at this age, babies tend to be kind of bald. So yeah, you, you might want to treat it just for, just for your own reasons. You can also just leave it. All right, you're coming up on the six-month checkup at this age. So babies should have gained about two or three pounds since their last checkup, and they should be over twice their birth weight now. Uh, Isn't that crazy? They've doubled in size, and they're only half a year old. Now, they're not going to triple until after their first birthday. So, you know, they'll get there. Now, their third round of vaccines happens at the six-month checkup, and it's the same ones that they got at two and four months, except, you know, the hep B's on a weird schedule. So the vaccines they're getting today are DTaP, polio, Hib, hepatitis B, pneumococcal vaccine or PCV, and rotavirus. So that's two or three shots or, and one oral vaccine. The rotavirus is the oral vaccine. That one is live, and that helps prevent diarrhea and dehydration in babies. And the shots that they're going to get... The PCV or pneumococcal vaccine is in a needle by itself, and that one has 13 strains of strep in it. And those are the kinds of strep that have a tendency to go into the bloodstream and cause things like pneumonia, meningitis, and sepsis. So the more aggressive strains of strep. This will be baby's third dose of this vaccine. And what I found is some babies will react to this one by getting a large welt on their leg where they got the shot. And that happens just because it's their third dose. They've reacted to it a couple of times. They're going to form a quicker reaction to it this time. 
And that's just local inflammation that they're getting in their muscle right there. And that's normal. It might be pink. It might be hot to the touch. It might just be swollen. And if you want, you can treat baby with a little bit of ibuprofen. Now that they're six months old, it's okay to have ibuprofen. Just ask your doctor for the dose. Or you can use just a cool washcloth, you know, wet washcloth, nothing, no ice or anything on that. The other vaccine or two vaccines they will get contain DTaP, polio, Hib, and hepatitis B. So DTaP is diphtheria, tetanus, and pertussis. And this vaccine also sometimes causes that large local reaction, that redness and swelling and inflammation on their thigh. So you might notice it from the DTaP component in this as well in the same sort of treatment. Diphtheria is something that used to cause very severe sore throats in kids. It would make their throat swell up so much that it would swell closed. So they would suffocate. It's a super serious disease. And we haven't seen it because of this vaccine. We've got the tetanus shot in there. Tetanus lives in soil. And anytime you get any kind of a puncture wound or a dirty wound or even a dog or cat bite, you can get exposed to tetanus. So it's an important one to get. And pertussis, it's the acellular pertussis, so less likely to cause severe side effects than the previous one that we had. Like when I was a kid, it was just DTP. This is DDAP, so acellular pertussis. Uh, pertussis is whooping cough. And most kids who get whooping cough will get it from a family member. So just a reminder, make sure that the whole family or everyone who's around baby is current on their Tdap vaccines, tetanus, diphtheria, and pertussis. Those have a higher tetanus content, the adult ones. Polio vaccine in polio is a virus that um, the polio vaccine that we use here in the U.S. is a killed vaccine. So it cannot cause polio. It's just a killed virus. And this one doesn't have a whole lot of side effects. The Hib, Hib is a Haemophilus influenza B. And I know that sounds like a virus, but it's actually a bacteria. So Haemophilus influenza is a disease that used to affect children, especially under age five and especially in the first year of life and would cause things like pneumonia, meningitis, and sepsis. Hib disease is really serious. It hits hard and fast, and it is something that's just out in the environment. So this is an important vaccine for little babies to get. The hepatitis B vaccine, Hep B, this will be their third and final dose of this one. And the hepatitis B virus is something that can live on surfaces for two to three weeks. So we vaccinate children against it now, first of all, because it's completely safe to do so. And the only documented side effects are soreness and swelling, but also because it gives them long-term immunity against hepatitis B. So if they're a bigger kid and they find a, you know, a step on a needle at a park or something, they or at the beach, or even if there's a child who is hepatitis B positive because maybe they were born to a heavy positive mom and they were not treated, if they fall and scrape their knee on the playground and the next week your kid falls and scrapes their knee in the same spot, they're exposed because it's an open wound and hep B can live on that surface for that long. So we do hepatitis B in infancy because we know that they're not going to need it yet. But now your baby's starting to become more mobile and they could potentially, you know, get themselves cut or hurt. So they'll be nice and protected after getting this. All right. So those are two or three shots that they're getting one oral vaccine. That's the rotavirus. And yeah, they should have similar side effects to last time, but maybe a little bit more redness and swelling of the legs. If your baby gets a rash on their whole body after vaccines or if they start vomiting, those are not considered normal reactions if they vomit two or more times. So uh, if any of these happen, please call your doctor, let them know about it, and just keep in mind they might be allergic to one of the vaccines or one of the components of it. 
For anticipatory guidance at this age, the stuff that I tell parents before you leave the end of your six-month visit, make sure your baby's in a rear-facing car seat until they're two years old or until they outgrow it, whichever is later. If they outgrow it, you need to get a new one, but keep them rear-facing. Make sure you avoid secondhand smoke. If anybody in the house smokes, they should be stepping outside to smoke, changing clothes, and washing hands before handling baby when they come back in. If you can smell smoke on somebody's clothing, baby can also smell that smoke and is breathing in those particles. And it is a risk factor for SIDS, which is sudden infant death syndrome, and also for respiratory problems in your child like asthma later in life. So you want to be avoiding secondhand smoke. Set your water temperature to 120 degrees to avoid scald burns. At 120 degrees, that's hot enough that it'll be a nice, pleasant, hot bath, but not so hot that if it went all the way hot, you know, baby's able to still pull their hand out if they were to touch the running water. So if you have your baby taking a bath in the sink or in the bathtub and the water's running and say somebody flushes a toilet and it goes to scalding hot, at 120 degrees, they're able to get themselves you know, to pull their leg back or their hand back away from the water uh, before they can get a serious burn. Remember, no infant walkers, nothing that can help them to walk at this age. There's actually no advantage to trying to get them to walk early. Babies who walk early do not have any advantages later in life. They're not more athletic or anything. And in fact, they're more likely to get injured. So there's only downsides to walking early. So you know, let them sit, let them try to crawl, let them roll. And that's all great at this age. Remember safe sleep guidelines, ABCs, alone on their back in a crib, nothing in there, definitely no blankets and no pillows at this age. They're very high suffocation risks at this age. Start baby-proofing the house. You want to start with stuff that's on the floor at floor level and then start going up from there. So outlets and then anything that hangs down that if baby were to try to grab it and pull on it, that they wouldn't hurt themselves. Remember, if you have a dog at this age and your baby gets into the dog water or the dog food, I see a lot of babies at this age, you know, as they're starting to move around and crawl, they actually will eat pieces of dog food. And that is okay. The only thing that children can get from dogs, like disease-wise, is worms. And most of our dogs go to the vet and get dewormed or get checked for worms, you know, and so you should be okay there, but make sure your dog is having regular vet visits. And I mean, rabies too, but we haven't had rabies from a domestic animal in the U.S. for a very long time. But yeah, it's totally safe if baby eats pieces of dog food or splashes in the dog water or drinks the dog water or the dog licks baby in the face. These are all safe. Your baby's not going to get any diseases. Now, cats, cats can carry toxoplasmosis, which is a disease, and that's in their feces. So babies need to stay away from cat litter, cat poop. They can also get diseases from being scratched by cats. You can get cat scratch disease. So uh, there is a little bit more that cats can spread. More safety stuff, avoid plastic bags, avoid balloons. Balloons are actually one of the big choking hazards in babies because they try to put them in their mouth, they try to bite them. And when they're starting to get teeth, they can actually pop those balloons. And what happens when a balloon pops? You go, right? And if the balloon is in your mouth, you'll suck that right into your windpipe. So balloons are very high choking hazards at this age. Don't let your baby play with the balloon. Um, And then the finger foods, limit it to foods that are soft enough to crush between your fingers easily. Development at this age, remember you're anticipating stranger anxiety. If they don't have it yet, they might get it soon. Some babies never do, and that's okay, but it's likely that your baby will have it at this age. You can inspire them to crawl or roll with toys that are just placed right out of reach from them, and they can start to try to move towards those. 
And you can anticipate them starting to sit on their own by themselves without tipping over and starting to crawl. Their next will child check and actually the next several are going to be every three months. So after the six month visit, we go at 9, 12, 15, and 18 months. Those are the next four visits. And what's cool is the next well child check at nine months, we don't give routine vaccines. Now, your baby is old enough at six months to get a flu shot. And I didn't mention that one yet, but it, it depends on when your baby turns six months old. So if your baby is turning six months between October and March, you're probably going to get a flu shot with their six-month vaccines. And that's totally okay. It is safe to get all those vaccines at the same time. Then they're going to need a second dose of the flu shot. Now, the first season that babies are protected against flu, it takes two doses of the H1N1 component to make them fully immune to it. So remember, you're going to have to come back a month later. Whenever they get their first flu shot, you're going to have to come back a month later for the second flu shot. So that might be now, it might be at their nine-month visit, or it might be in between, depending on the season. And it might even be later, depending on the season. After your baby gets their two doses of flu vaccine this season, it's just going to be one dose each season after that. All right, so we will see you at your baby's next well child check in three months. And since this podcast is airing chronologically, I'm actually going to go back now and go by systems. So stay tuned for the next couple of episodes. We're going to go through things that are normal in the first six months of life. So we're going to go through feeding in detail. I'm going to go through peeing and pooping in detail, how to keep your baby safe and healthy and not sick and how to recognize if they're sick. What are some red flags and reasons to call the doctor? So make sure you're subscribed to the podcast and we'll see you soon. Thank you for listening to the Baby Manual podcast. Please hit that subscribe button below so you don't miss the new episodes when they come out. I would also love it if you could leave me a review. If you'd like to buy a copy of the Baby Manual, it's on Amazon and Kindle. I'm the author, Dr. Carol Keim, and that's spelled K-E-I-M. You can also follow me on YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, or Facebook to get some quick baby tips that will make you feel like an expert. Thanks for listening.